0: You're listening to the Functional Fertility Podcast, and I'm your host, Kiara Orbe, Functional Fertility Nutritionist. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing your fertility using real intentional nourishment through nutrition and lifestyle choices. Each week, you'll find practical steps through conversations with health experts in this space or solo episodes from me helping you get closer to creating your family. Everything shared on the podcast is rooted in love and science, and is meant to help you cut through fertility myths so you can take control of your fertility journey while having fun doing so. And if anything resonates with you, please feel free to leave a five-star review and rating so that we can continue having incredible guests on the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey, hey guys, I wanted to take a moment and talk about my friends over at Mitigate Stress, Nick and Nathan. These are two incredible men who are literally changing lives um, by creating the products that they do, such as their magnesium bicarbonates, their shilajetes, um, their bath concentrate. I love them so, so much and use these products with myself and with my clients highly recommend looking into them. They also run sales regularly. Um, So if you don't follow them on Instagram, be sure you do, because that's where they tend to keep everyone updated. Um, And they're they're actually the first um, company who's really introduced me to trigger pointing. I was like, what the heck is trigger pointing? Um, And they really helped me understand that yes, we could be replenishing our minerals and working on minerals, but it really is this multifaceted approach. Just like we all know and believe like it's not just one thing. It's not just movement. It's not not just fitness. It's not just nutrition. It's not just, um, chiropractic work and all the things it's everything integrated. Um, so it's definitely a journey. There's no way that we could learn all these things in one night. Right. Am I right? (laughs) To avoid the overwhelm. So yeah, I started trigger pointing because of them and have been replenishing my magnesium. Um, you guys don't know this. I feel like I talk about this all the time, but my magnesium burn rate on my hair test earlier this year was really, really, really stinking high probably because I had a calcium shell. Um, I still need to do a hair test. Like that reminds me, I'm going to do a hair test today because I have been wondering like what has improved and what still needs some work. Um, but hopefully that calcium shell is down. Don't worry. I will definitely share results. Um, in comparison to my last test, but that is exactly why my magnesium burn rate was so high. And then we also have to ask like, why was my calcium so high? But that means I needed gentle support with my magnesium after working on my adrenals, which involves my sodium potassium levels. But one way that I was gently supporting my magnesium was magnesium plate baths. So mitigate stress has their bath concentrate which is phenomenal and they also have their magnesium bicarbonate and they have their they have their magnesium concentrate so i feel like those are gentle ways to support magnesium status without going overboard um so that is definitely like a starting place where a lot of people can start supporting magnesium levels. Magnesium isn't the only shining star. I think potassium is huge and sodium is so, so important. Um, but I think it's important to also support magnesium status along the way while healing those adrenals. So if you guys are interested in purchasing any mitigate stress products, you guys can download the favorites freebie that I've linked for you in the description box. And that is where you'll find a discount code as well back to the show so today on the show we have my friend lauren lauren de la cruz who is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner root cause protocol consultant and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner that specializes in preconception nutrition. Her mission is to empower women with the tools and the knowledge they need to regulate their cycles, balance their hormones and heal their metabolism, as well as optimize their fertility and have a thriving pregnancy. So it's interesting that Lauren and I are literally in the same space. Um, we have gone through all the same trainings and I love that we cross paths. It was actually because of her stumbling across her page, um, and just getting to know more about the root cause protocol and things like that. She totally inspired me to embark on that journey and just learn more about minerals. And inside the show, I mentioned like I knew minerals were important and adding minerals to your beverages and stuff like that but I had no idea the profound impact that they had on our overall health and well-being as humans on this earth combating stress in so many different ways. And more importantly as it pertains to the show for our fertility, fertility purposes. So that's what we talk all about in this episode and I'm so so excited for you guys to listen because it's a good one. And if you are a hormone nerd, a mineral nerd, just love like educating yourself. You might want to take out your pen and paper and take some notes or just sit back and listen. If you are just so intrigued by, um, how we need to address our health prior to conceiving and really take it in because I have just, I've come to realize that, you know, health and nutrition, wellness, all the things. It's fun. It's trendy. It's important to know, but I think at the root of it all, in order for us to actually maintain, um, good status in our health and not just survive and rather thrive in our journeys, we really need to get to the bottom of what is depleting us in the first place. And towards the end of the episode, you guys will hear my thoughts on that and Lauren's thoughts on that. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hey guys, thanks for joining me on another episode of the Functional Fertility Podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode with Lauren de la Cruz. She is a fellow RCPC, and we are going to talk all about minerals and fertility today. So, Lauren, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I um, I'm waiting for fall to come. I feel like it's still so hot outside, and it's not. It's not like the fun hot. It's like the it's the humid hot. And I'm just like, <laughs> give me my fall weather, please. Oh, <laughs> that's, <my favorite. laughs> that's so funny. Today is actually
1: a really chilly day here in Colorado. So, really? like how cold? Uh, sixty four. Oh, that's so
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, So I have, I had to actually wear a sweatshirt on my walk this morning. (laughs) So It's coming here. Uh, I, I, I think it'll, it'll probably
0: land on the East coast for you soon. You got, yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting like you're, I mean, we just talked about this, but you're in Denver. So it gets colder there a lot faster than it does here. I feel like here. Yeah. It doesn't get, I mean, it starts like chilling out a little bit, but I feel like in October that's when everything kind of hits and we have like one month of fall. So I try to enjoy it before it, like it gets really, really cold. Um, but anyway, I am so excited to chat about minerals. I feel like minerals have been definitely the hot topic in our space. And I mean, they, because you are an NTP as well, right? Yes, an NTP as well as an uh, FTNP. Yes, that's right. So we are, we've, we've gone through the same programs Programs and everything. And I feel like it really wasn't until, um, I went through the RCP (laughs) that I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) (laughs) minerals are it. They hold the key. And I mean, each, each program that I went through that we went through, I feel like served a good purpose, purpose, um, the NTA being a really good place to start with like the foundations and understanding what those are. And we touched on minerals inside of there, but we didn't go nearly as in depth as we did in the RCP program. So Mm -hmm. I guess just to get things started, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this space? Like what made you become an NTP in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question.
1: And, you know, I wasn't always focused on preconception either. And that's my current focus now. But I I really started my journey with nutrition, actually, when I was coming off the birth control, um, now over half a decade ago. <laughs> but um, I, I had, a, you know, I, I got on the birth control pill for you know, various different reasons, the primary one being uh, adult acne that had developed after I had um, been on a vegan diet for about two years and I of course hindsights 2020 you know <laughs> knowing what I know now about nutrition um, uh, I, I was obviously very malnourished and lacking a lot of the uh, skin uh, protective and supportive nutrients that you just don't really get in a plant-based diet or it's really really difficult to <laughs> um, so, I uh, I was kind of really desperate to figure out my acne and uh, back then and I can still say this <laughs> because uh, I, I you know back then when I was looking for information social media was just kind of getting started um, it wasn't really available like it is today you couldn't you couldn't find anything really about any educational information you really had to dig and um the best resources were my friends and they were all on the birth control pill. And they, a lot of them said, I, I got on it for acne too, and you should give it a try. It's working for me. No one really had any crazy problems. I mean, I did have one friend that had experienced a lot of emotional dysregulation coming on and off different pills, but I was willing to give that a try. So I was on it for eight years, but throughout that eight years, my health sort of went up and down and up and down, really more so on a steady decline. Uh, I was uh, pre-diabetic. I developed candida. I developed an autoimmune skin condition. Um, I I had so many other issues that I can't even begin (laughs) to explain, but I just felt like my body and health was operating subpar all the time too. Um, So really when I decided to come off the birth control pill, my acne had actually started coming back. So I was like, why am I even on this thing? I don't want to take medications personally. Um, And uh, I started doing research on how to come off. I spoke to my doctors. They were like, yeah, go ahead, go off. There's no like special way to do it. Um, And uh, But then of course I had post-birth control syndrome, like really bad, (laughs) really bad. Um, my hair started falling out really bad. My acne came back tenfold and I was so confused and lost and like even more desperate and lonely (laughs) than before. And then I started researching it myself because I went back to my doctors and I was like, what's going on? Can you please help me figure this out? And they were, the only offers that I got were, to do nothing. You have to wait it out. There's absolutely nothing you can do lifestyle nutrition wise. You just have to kind of (laughs) go through the motion. Um, the other options were getting back on the birth control pill. And the other option was getting on spironolactone, which is (laughs) often prescribed for, um, high androgens. So, uh, and we didn't even know if I had high androgens. So, That said, I was like, okay, I don't like any of these options. Thanks so much. Bye. Uh, And I started researching stuff on my own and I came across the work of Dr. Jolene Brighton. And I felt so completely validated once I came across her work because I felt so much less crazy. And (laughs) like there was hope and there was actually an explanation for this. And um, there were things that I could do to support my body. So Paired with her work and my, you know, other research that I started doing, I was able to um, really heal myself afterwards. And in the process, I also was able to heal my asthma. So my lifelong asthma, which I had been taking steroid inhalers for for over twenty years, um, which was totally shocking to me. I was like, really? <laughs> so uh, I, I was like, oh my gosh, there has to be. Why don't more people know about? you know, these options, I I felt so ho- helpless and hopeless and just uh, prior, you know, and now that I knew that, you know, you could really make huge changes in your health, especially with the asthma piece, I thought I was destined to take an inhaler forever. Um, I, I, you know, I was like, I have to learn more, I have to help more people, because I definitely um, didn't feel like there were enough resources out there for me when I was going through what I was going through. And so, I wanted to become that resource for other people. And then um, that's kind of when I (laughs) joined the NTA, um, started researching more and more and more, and then eventually shifted to preconception nutrition, um, which is basically kind of inspired by my own journey, sort of seeing lack of resources as well. Um, And the more and more I realized how important preconception nutrition is, or how important the preconception phase is, I should say, um, you can s- impact so much, not only your future baby's health, their future generations, your, your future generations as well, two, three generations down the line, uh, as well as your ability to conceive, the lowering risk of complications during pregnancy and recovery postpartum. I was just like, why don't more people know about this? This is such a special time. Oh my goodness. I I went head first. And so <laughs> that's kind of what, where I find myself now. But um, uh, that's kind of the uh, entirety of the
0: journey. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. I feel like your testimony alone should give, I'm sure a lot of our listeners hope that there are answers out there and they're not the only ones who are struggling. And I think this community, at least this is what I see has made us feel less alone because I have a very similar journey to yours. Like even down to the pre-diabetes and candida, like I have not met anyone who has been, I mean, young and have pre-diabetes. Like I was, I was 25 years old when I was diagnosed with pre-diabetes. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. I am like the healthiest person that I know. I work out, I eat quote unquote healthy. Um, And I'm like, I feel horrible. I feel like crap. And it wasn't until I started like, you know, Begging my doctors for answers, and then ultimately I was led to functional medicine and went down that rabbit hole. And here we are, and have a very similar um, perspective as you. Like, I think it really all starts at birth, or even before then. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how is our mother's state of health? How is our father's state of health? And then, you know, going from there. So, I love just really getting to the root of everything. I think that's where it all starts. So, I agree. So, all right, getting into the topic of the hour, minerals. What are minerals? Let's just start there at the basics, because I don't think everyone knows exactly what they are. A lot of people hear like electrolytes and like all those things. So can you break that down for us? Yeah, so there
1: are many, many minerals. Um some are essential, some are considered non-essential, some have yet to be discovered because <laughs> the earth is amazing and mother nature is amazing and um really when we look at we've done so much research over the past, you know, hundreds of years, but we are just scratching the surface. <laughs> so um, I feel like we'll we'll only continue to learn and that's really to me, that's the whole point of being a practitioner too, is just like you're a constant student. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> if you stop learning, then you you stop being able to grow and help people. So um, that's just a personal sort of motivation <laughs> there for me. Uh, but minerals are, are electrolytes. They do include electrolytes. Um, they do hydrate us. But essentially, minerals are the spark plugs of the body, and this is an analogy that's used really often. Um, the reason that they are called that is because they help run enzymes, and enzymes are the things that sort of help ca- create reactions in the body. And then these reactions, these enzymes, are the ones that run hormones. So hormones don't really do anything un- until these enzymes tell them what to do. <laughs> um, and then hormones tell the metabolism what to do or they run the metabolism. So it's really, once you peel back the layers of the metabolism, a lot of people associate hormones with metabolic function. And yeah, that is true. They're really closely tied. But once you go deeper and deeper, if you start peeling back the layers, you realize there's Enzymatic functions that need to be properly supported for the hormones to run properly, and minerals are required for these enzymes to run properly. Um, that said, there are a lot of vitamins too, but minerals are really these spark plugs that are required. So um, I think that minerals are really the crux and foundation of metabolic function. Um, and likely, if you do have a hormonal imbalance or a metabolic dysfunction or metabolic imbalance, there's probably, definitely going to be a mineral imbalance underlying that. So um, it's really, really important to get them checked out, I think, Um, and sort of understanding where you're at can be life-changing. It's huge. So uh, one mineral, I guess I should say, uh, has many other mineral and vitamin partners. So it's really important also to notice and understand that like other nutrients, no mineral works really alone, that said. Um, so there are many other partners that one mineral can have. And, you know, if you are sort of looking at, okay, I have this X, Y, Z deficiency, just keep in mind that it's probably not necessarily just that mineral or nutrient. There could be other factors involved. Um, Most minerals are water soluble, so they will need to be replenished pretty frequently uh, to maintain adequate levels. Um, And the body has special recycling systems for some of them, like iron, for example. Uh, So that's another (laughs) really fun one we can talk about. And um, minerals too, I think it's important to also note that Um, I guess in the preconception space, the prenatal space, a lot of minerals are missing from the normal prenatal diet recommendations or the normal prenatal vitamin recommendations too. And I think that's a really big miss. So that's kind of uh,
0: sort of the gist on minerals (laughs) from a high level perspective. And you, you mentioned the word metabolism. And for me growing up, and being in the whole diet culture space, metabolism, all that meant to me was weight gain, weight loss. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you
0: explain what the metabolism actually is and what metabolic imbalance um, might actually look like? Yes,
1: that's a great question. And I too had that perception of (laughs) <laughs> metabolism like okay fast metabolism means you're skinny and yeah. slow metabolism means you might be a little heavier uh that is completely false <laughs> and, um once you understand really the the meaning of metabolism how all the minerals work together i think that really helps solidify sort of the meaning of metabolism um the metabolism is just simply the rate at which chemical reactions are happening in the body that's really it so the rate at which things are oxidizing, the rate at which you know, XYZ is turning into XYZ. Um, so in that regard, when you're looking at a hair tissue mineral analysis, you can look at things as fast oxidizers or slow oxidizers, but even those two... I guess names for or ways to differentiate the metabolism can also kind of (laughs) uh, be confusing because uh, people might interpret fast as like okay I can lose weight faster or slow okay I can I it'll take me a long time to lose weight I must have a slow metabolism and while there's some you know some I guess. Truth to that in that, yes, the chemical reactions are fast or the chemical reactions are slow. Um, you could have a fast metabolism and be overweight. You could have a slow metabolism and be underweight. And so um, it's really neither one is good either. <laughs> so neither one is ideal. What we want is a balanced metabolism. And once you see this on a hair test, and um, it's it's really kind of a visual Uh, a visual representation really helps kind of, um, solidify it, I think for a lot of people. So if you haven't gone a hair test, definitely get one. It's, It's really fun. Um, but you'll be able to see, you know, fast metabolizers just utilize specific nutrients a little bit faster than others. Slow metabolizers have a higher need for other nutrients than fast metabolizers do. And we don't really want, um, to be either or it's just about being as balanced as we can be. So coming more towards the center line of things than, um, being super fast or super slow, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so just, you know, metabolism really at the end of the day, doesn't have anything to do with aesthetics necessarily. Uh, but it's just like, how are the functions in your body operating and are they operating
0: optimally? That's a really good way to put it. Um, with the slow oxidizers and fast oxidizers, can that yeah, fluctuate while someone is working to rebalance minerals? Can like someone switch from fast to slow and slow to fast? And what does that mean?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Definitely, I see this a lot. Um, <laughs> usually the trend is, uh, or the trend anecdotally, what I've seen is someone is probably fast but trending slow because they're just burning through so many things. They're gonna have to hit a wall, uh, eventually. Um, so the and, and it's not being supported. The demand is not being supported in terms of supply. So the body's, you know, burning through so much. Um and it it will have to putter out eventually. Uh so that said I do I have seen slow move to fast um as they are healing. Uh, so there are a lot of fluctuations, and again, there's no like Right or wrong side to be on it. it's just how close you are to being balanced, so I think what's more important is how far away are you from balance because you could be a fast oxidizer but really close to being or having a really balanced metabolism or you could be a slow oxidizer and being really uh, be really close to having a balanced metabolism, but then there are these others that are on these sort of like extremes. Uh, that are definitely super fast and super slow. Um, so I think the categorization, if I were to like, <laughs> I think the uh, the categorizations are helpful for understanding what's going on, but I also think like a lot of people might also take it too far and allow it to define them <laughs> and then chase the wrong thing. So I would love to talk to <laughs> um, oh, Watts or uh, the inventors of the other inventor of the HGMA and just, can we, can we name this a little better? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I would say about that. You, you can expect to fluctuate and there's four different types of slow. Um, there's four different types of fast. And I think there are definitely different schools of thought too on the HGMA. So the RCP has a very different thought about than um, about HGMAs than like your traditional HGMA courses. Um, Where they really have subcategories of a lot of things. Um, But, you know, I think um, in general, you will see fluctuations, and that's pretty normal.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. So, on the topic of minerals, why is this so important to know? Like you just said, like everyone should get a hair test if they have access to it. Um, Why is this especially important for women who are? In their preconception phase?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So it's really important for the preconception phase for so many reasons. One is every pregnancy, a mother loses 10% of her minerals. So, and it's really difficult to gain that back or replenish adequately. So, what happens is with the second pregnancy, the mother can regain only 9% of minerals or, or give 9% of minerals to baby. She has less and less to give every pregnancy to the baby. So the first baby gets 10%, um, the second baby gets 9%, the, the third baby gets 8% and so on and so forth. And you've heard Morley talk about this too. And I, I think that it really depends also how much time they've given themselves to replenish their diet, um, how mineralized uh, their diet is, their nutrition is, Um, how much of an effort they're making to, to get really mineral rich foods and things like that in their life. Um, So that's really important because, you know, we can end up women in childbearing age already statistically are nutrient deficient. So we're entering pregnancy already in nutrition debt, probably other types of health debt as well. Um, You know, so we're already entering pregnancy in debt and. Minerals are really important for supporting overall hormonal health. Remember that minerals run enzymes which run hormones. So, if we have hormonal imbalance, that can show up and that can create problems potentially with our fertility. Um, So, thyroid function, for example, doesn't happen without minerals, Uh, progesterone production doesn't happen without minerals. So, these are two very important functions that. Are required for fertility and uh, conceiving and also maintaining the pregnancy. Um, so, we already have the hormonal aspect of that. Um, complications during pregnancy, too, can arise from mineral deficiency. Um, so, many different things like gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, um, oh gosh, what's another one? Um, anemia, pregnancy anemia. These are all due to mineral imbalances and mineral deficiencies. So, Not having adequate minerals can also create risks for uh, complications during pregnancy. Um, Then, you know, there's also baby's health. We want to make sure the baby has enough minerals to uh, properly form and develop. And there is this notion, okay, the body does give everything that it can to baby so that the baby has what it needs. And yes, the body will prioritize that the body will prioritize giving everything to the baby over you. Uh, But you also have to have the nutrients in the first place to give to the baby. And as I said before, a lot of women are entering um, pregnancy in nutrition debt. So a lot of women may not have (laughs) the nutrients to give to baby, which can also cause issues with their development as well. Um, And then, you know, postpartum itself, mineral deficiencies have also been tied to issues like postpartum depression. They're also going to impact our hormonal balance. So this can impact when we get our periods back, you know, postpartum, but also thyroid health, which is super important for breastfeeding too. Um, So there's so many things that are connected here that really have a lot to do with minerals and that minerals is the foundation for so, you know, I think while nothing will ever be perfect, <laughs> let's just clarify that, <laughs> you know, when it comes to pregnancy and health, like we're not striving for perfection, but we're striving for progress. And my whole thing is really, my, my whole goal is to help women put their best foot forward so that they can minimize any risks or complications or, you know, um, issues, that arise as much as possible. Um, although we'll never be able to control everything, you know, <laughs> and it's and it's really naive to think we, we can control everything. So I, I just wanna also get that out because pregnancy is like such a primal thing that so much can happen, but um, it's really about putting your best foot forward. And you can do that a lot by at first, building a strong foundation. And part of that foundation is having really, really great minerals um, going into conception.
0: Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that just because some someone can get pregnant doesn't necessarily mean that they're in the, the I don't want to say like the right shape, but like the best shape as possible um, before conceiving. Like there could be issues that arise with the entirety of the pregnancy or baby or postpartum breastfeeding, things like that. So that's why a hair test could be helpful, but ultimately it's not the deciding factor because I know so many women who just like want to conceive like yesterday, yeah. or like they're, they're waiting for that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my question is, can someone can see, or I'm sorry, can someone work on minerals while they are pregnant or breastfeeding, or is that something they have to really wait until after they're done in that depletion of minerals? Because pregnancy is a beautiful event, yet a stressful event. And same with <laughs> breastfeeding, right?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, really lots of great questions today. <laughs> um yeah, that uh it's it's tough to answer that. So I would say, you know, if we are in a depleted state already, then it's going to be really difficult to catch up and build things because pregnancy itself is really energy and nutrient demanding, so or nutritionally demanding. Uh so we are already in just in a normal pregnancy, say your mineral levels are super uh perfect before pregnancy, we're still gonna have a ten percent decline post-pregnancy. And then we have breastfeeding on top of that, if you choose to. And breastfeeding is even more nutritionally demanding than pregnancy is. And a lot of people don't realize that, but you need even more calories and more nutrients to support your breast milk production and to make sure you're transferring the right amount of nutrients to baby. So we are going from a very nutrient depleting state to a more nutrient depleting state. And it's really, really difficult to sort of uh, heal while you are in a stressed state like that. And while, like you said, while pregnancy is beautiful, um, it is a stressful state for the body. So to try and um, heal during that time is not necessarily the time because the body is putting all of its energy towards creating this new baby. And so healing and why, why I say healing is because usually if you're trying to rebalance minerals, it's because there's some kind of symptom you're working on. Uh, so trying to expect that symptom to disappear while your body's putting so much energy forth to build a human being, to build a new organ, the placenta, to create breast milk is going to be really, really difficult. I, I don't think that that's necessarily um, a good time to really try to heal things. Uh, that said, it's never a bad time to increase your mineral intake. So <laughs> um, just because you didn't get to... Um, You know, work on your minerals pre conception does not mean, oh, whatever, like uh, it's going to make no difference. It can make a huge difference, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. So, there's never a bad time to remineralize and increase the minerals you're getting through food and drink and uh, supplements. So, it it will only
0: support you. And um,
1: so, that's kind of my take on it.
0: Yeah. Th- I was going to say the same thing. That's kind of like the perspective that I would look at it. Like you, it can't hurt to just support your body through, mm-hmm. a I mean, that's what minerals are for to combat stress in really any capacity and breastfeeding, like I said, is a stressor on the body. Um, although beautiful. And I think women should, you know, breastfeed for as long as they want and as long as possible, because we know the benefits there. Um, And really just cherishing that time and know that there will be a time where you can just like focus on you again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You mentioned pregnancy anemia mainly in the third trimester. I guess now would be a good time to hop into the whole iron recycling uh, system topic because what does that mean? Someone who has anemia and then is handed iron pills in the third trimester.
1: Yeah, that's tough, and I see it a lot. Um, there's a couple of aspects. So, the first one is you know, a lot of us are entering pregnancy into pregnancy, in pregnant, in nutritional debt, excuse me, <laughs> or mm-hmm. health debt. So, this is just one of those examples where, you know, a, a deficiency can manifest, like in, into um, pregnancy anemia. Uh, a deficiency can also manifest into other things, but sometimes it depends on what the minerals are and the state of the person. So everyone's really unique and bio-individual and you can't really predict exactly how a deficiency will manifest because only your body has lived through your life. (laughs) So, uh, I would just like to say that, but, um, you know, it it could be an issue where, um, we, we, ha- we didn't have enough minerals or we weren't eat- we haven't been eating the right foods during pregnancy either to make sure we're getting those nutrients that we need. So um, the second reason I see is because there's a natural download of iron to baby in the third trimester as along with many, many other nutrients and a lot of fat from the baby. The baby gains like half a pound every week in the third trimester. So they are really ramping up, um, their anabolism. And actually as a result, mom is very catabolic in the second half of pregnancy. Um, so we are giving, we're breaking ourselves down to give to baby. Um, and so a drop in iron levels is actually really natural. And usually how iron is measured in the third trimester is hemoglobin. Uh, so you might see you know, hemoglobin drop a point or two or three. Um, the issue when this becomes an issue though is when hemoglobin drops lower than XYZ. And I say XYZ because a lot of hospitals or midwives or uh, birthing practitioners sometimes have ultimatums or cap, minim- minimal caps that they put on your ability to give a home birth, for example, because they strongly associate low iron levels with uh, hemorrhaging um, what, after delivery or during delivery, uh, which is bleeding out. So they are trying to minimize that risk. And there is a lot of, um, you know, Definitely, a, a lot of uh, realistic truth to that. Um, I will argue though that I've seen many women take iron pills in the third trimester, and that's what caused them to bleed out. So mm-hmm. I think there's definitely some missing pieces there. Um, so and you know, an interesting study which I'm sure Morley has shared with you mm-hmm. is the. Uh, is uh, one by Dr. Leon. I can't remember his first name, but he observed, I think it was like 1,500 births and tried to measure the average hemoglobin level of uh, all the healthiest babies or healthiest deliveries. And it was somewhere between 8.5 and 9.5. And I say these numbers because a lot of midwives don't want to see it lower than 11, uh, which is perfectly also healthy. So just some food for thought, you know, definitely there's a lot of disagreement around that and no one wants to be held liable for anything that happens. So a lot of people are definitely uh, more cautious than not. Um, But I would highly recommend reading Iron Toxicity Post number 81. That one goes into a lot more of the research. Um, I'm sure you probably have read it, but for your audience, like check it out because it breaks down that sort of um, uh, thought process and the research there. Uh, So... All of this said, there are natural processes. Um, estrogen can also decrease hemoglobin levels. So um, naturally, so women naturally have lower hemoglobin levels than men, just you know, non during a non-pregnancy um, state. Uh, so pregnancy, you have this huge influx of estrogen production along with other different hormones. So naturally it's going to decrease as well. Uh, So that's also another natural process that could be contributed to these low iron levels, quote unquote. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there's also the other aspect where iron doesn't operate on its own, like I mentioned earlier, and anyone that has anemia should likely (laughs) check this out because um, one, it could either uh, sort of signify that there's an infection. So, an infection when an infection happens the body will sequester iron into the tissues to get the iron out of the bloodstream so that it can't feed pathogens because pathogens are in the bloodstream so it'll hide it and oftentimes when someone's sick you'll see really low iron levels but really high um, ferritin levels which sort of also is another topic in can of worms but um it can it can uh it indicate pathophysiology, so something's wrong, something's wrong in the body, there's inflammation, there's a bug, there's something. Um, so there's that aspect. And that shouldn't be ruled out because the immune system is suppressed uh, during pregnancy. And if the mother's not feeling well, that could very well be a reason uh, why uh, their iron levels are low or more commonly than not, it's just another nutrient deficiency. So iron doesn't operate on its own. It needs copper to function properly. So iron and copper are really big partners as minerals. And a lot of people talk about the increase in need for iron during pregnancy. Um, And definitely we should talk about the iron recycling system, but I think a lot of people forget also, a lot of practitioners forget that copper is what allows iron to operate properly. So if there's an increased need for iron, we should be increasing the copper as well in the diet. Uh, So um, there's that aspect. And there's also the uh, sort of relationship between copper and vitamin A as well. That's really important. So vitamin A is what activates copper into this protein called ceruloplasmin and that's the active copper protein that really allows uh sort of manages iron but also performs these other really amazing functions in the body like antioxidation Um, it controls serotonin which is really important for fertility and maintaining a healthy pregnancy uh, because if serotonin gets out of control things like spontaneous abortions and um autistic like symptoms can develop in baby uh, Zyclopen is another function of ceruloplasmin, I believe, um, or expression of it. Uh, and it's a, an enzyme. Um, and this supports the transfer of iron between mom and baby. And there's another enzyme called hephaestin. And I believe this is another uh, ceruloplasmin expression. And this supports the absorption of iron through the digestive system. So if we don't have enough copper and vitamin A to support iron, we will probably sequester iron into our tissues as well. And so when you take your blood test or your hemoglobin finger prick, um, your iron level is going to look pretty pretty low. Your hemoglobin level is going to be low. Um, so there's definitely a lot of um, nutrients that you need to support proper iron Uh, utilization in the body, um, proper iron levels. And funny enough, um, the Nobel Peace Peace Prize in like 1934 for, uh, I forget the category it was for, uh, but three doctors won this Nobel Peace Prize because Uh, They cured anemia using beef liver. (laughs) And so if that tells you anything, uh, Mm -hmm. guess what beef liver is really high in? It's really high in iron, copper, and vitamin A. Uh, So it has the perfect... cocktail of nutrients to support proper um, hemoglobin function proper iron levels uh, proper recycling of red blood cells creation of red blood cells so um, there's there's that aspect and uh, it has also been shown copper has also been shown to low copper levels liver copper levels has also been shown to be associated with um, more hemorrhaging during delivery too so a lot of practitioners also don't Uh, aren't aware of this um, association. And so it might actually be that we need more of these cofactors that iron needs to function properly than iron itself um, at the end of the day. (laughs) So how do you eat beef liver? I'm curious. I do a couple things. The latest thing I've been doing, which has been my favorite because it's been so hot out, except for today, (laughs) Um, (laughs) has been smoothies with frozen beef liver. So, uh, when I get a liver from, uh, this local farmer that I have access to, I will cut it into little cubes, uh, like one ounce or two ounce cubes, um, and freeze it for two weeks. And then whenever I want to make a shake or a smoothie, I'll just grab one or two ounces and put it, you know, in the bottom and I'll put a lot of berries, cherries, or, you know. Chocolate goes really well with it. So um, ma- I've kind of mastered the flavor profiles that I like. Um, definitely requires some experimentation. I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but uh, I, I really personally like it.
0: <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say, I think I made that's probably the biggest difference, like frozen cubes versus like putting just raw beef liver in there, like after defrosting it, because I've done that before years ago and I was like, oh my God. And it was like just a quarter size. And I could not tolerate it. And I was like, oh, I don't know like how I'm gonna eat it. <laughs> then I tried, like liver pate. And then I finally have been loving. I'm not sure if you've heard of the Ancestral Blend by US Wellness Meats, or like there are like a ton of them, I'm sure, but um, it has just ground beef and liver, heart, and kidney. And I'm obsessed with it. Like it's so, so good. Um, meatballs or putting it in like a lasagna or like a meat sauce or anything, like it's just, it's in there. I made it for my family one time without telling them. And I waited until they were done eating because you <laughs> can like, just get really in their heads about everything. Yeah. And I was like, guess what you just ate. <laughs> and they were like, Oh, that's why you wanted to make us dinner. And they're like, Oh my gosh, get it ready so fast. And I was like, yep. Um, so that's I a really great way for yeah. sure. sticking yeah. it with muscle meats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I also in the past have done like the, um, just like little homemade liver pills and just like shooting them back. But I was like, I don't know. I want to like really look at liver food in general, just like as a form of, of nourishment. And for me that meant maybe trying out like eating it cooked and seeing how that goes. Um, So it really allowed me to develop a deep respect for liver. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really um, great food, and our ancestors have been
1: eating it for so long. And it's actually a prized fertility food, which, hello, you know? Yeah, so, exactly.
0: Huge. Yeah. I was on the phone with someone, or um, I was actually on a podcast with this person, and um, she was telling me, she's all the way in Dubai, and she was telling me that um, growing up, her mother used to cook her beef liver during menstruation. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, yeah, our ancestors have been doing this for a very, very, very long time. Um, I know beef liver is not the sexiest food out there, guys, but can we make it sexy? Like, I think, I think it's so important and we really it's, it's hard to ignore it, honestly. Um, so on that topic, I think if people aren't supplementing with beef liver or eating beef liver, um, how do you feel about prenatals?
1: Great question.
0: <laughs> that is, yeah, another one. <laughs>
1: t- t- 10 for 10, or what, what number are we on? Um, <laughs> um, So, prenatals, I, I definitely think there's a time and a place for them, uh, but I do have, you know, certain things that I don't like about them and uh, qualms with them. And you know, it's not necessarily because I think supplements in general are bad. I, I do think supplements are great. They can really be supportive, and uh, really strategic supplementation can change everything. But um, a couple reasons why I don't necessarily go to prenatals first thing, um, and a couple of sort of behavioral aspects around prenatals prenatals as well uh, is kind of why I don't like them either. <laughs> so. Um, First thing is that prenatals are a one-size-fits-all solution for not a one-size-fits-all person. Like, again, we are bio-individual people. No one has ever lived your life except for you in your body. And so you have different nutrient needs than the next person than the next person. You also have different metabolic needs. So uh, just going back to what we were talking about before with minerals, like you might be a fast oxidizer or a slow oxidizer. So you might need more of this mineral or that mineral. And um, because prenatals have this sort of preset and I will also dispel that, I'm about to contradict myself, but because most prenatals have you know, this certain set of uh, nutrients in them, it, we're, it doesn't take into account what our needs are or our imbalances are. So there's a potential to imbalance us further. For example, if we already get a lot of calcium from our diet, but this prenatal has like 200 milligrams of calcium. Uh, and if you... Know that calcium can imbalance potassium, can imbalance magnesium, can cause other issues with other minerals, then we are further pushing us into uh, imbalance potentially. Another issue that I have with them is that, um, well, one, they are not FDA approved, so just keep that in mind (laughs) you know, like every supplement company doesn't, supplements are not FDA approved and a lot of them, even prenatals will say, talk to your doctor before you take this because they're not uh, FDA approved. So keep that in mind. Um, there's also no regulations around what makes up a prenatal. So I'm pretty sure you could call anything a prenatal if you wanted to. So there's not like a preset list of things that there needs to be in a prenatal in order to be called a prenatal. Um, so that's also important. Um, Going back to kind of the bio individual aspect of things and understanding minerals and their partners, minerals have many partners, but also minerals compete for absorption in the intestines and digestive tract. And so, a really funny example of this is you'll see iron free prenatals uh, on the market. They're very rare to find, or, or they're less they're less available than regular prenatals, but. Um, What's I think is so funny about this is because this sort of these supplement companies are aware that iron and calcium compete with absorption. So they've chosen to omit the iron from the prenatal so that you can absorb the calcium. Well, what they also don't realize is that iron, calcium, and Zinc and other nutrients also compete for absorption. So, just because you've removed one thing doesn't necessarily mean it's going to support the absorption of all these other nutrients that are also competing for absorption. So, uh, you're not also getting um, the full benefits of these um, prenatals, you know, by having them all together in one. Uh, That's another thing to keep in mind. What else? The ratios are often off. So (laughs) my body operates in specific ratios with hormones, uh, with vitamins and nutrients. Uh, Just going back to minerals, minerals have many specific partners. Zinc and copper are partners. Magnesium and um, calcium are partners. Sodium and potassium are partners. But also there are so many other ways that these all interact with each other. And um, uh, you'll often see... Uh, Oh, vitamin A and vitamin D are partners and should be operating in specific ratios. So, there's a ratio aspect, and usually these ratios will be very off in prenatals. They'll put like too much calcium in relation to magnesium, or uh, way too much vitamin D in relation to vitamin A. And I even have, you know, I'm sure you you have talked about your hesitation around vitamin D. <laughs> I have reservations about them too, so I don't even know if these should be in there. Um, so there, there's a couple of items in pre too that I'm like, why is this in there? Um, uh, what else? Uh, there's so much to unpack. Uh, oh, most of them are made of synthetic ingredients. <laughs> so uh, that is also a problem because, um, well, first of all, uh, yes, I will say that there are certain vitamins that the synthetic version does look molecularly similar and operate very similar to the natural form found in nature, but there's a lot of them that look similar but don't operate the same. As found in nature. And so what happens is these synthetic nutrients take up receptor space and don't allow the natural form that you might be getting from food, the more beneficial form, to function properly. So it takes up receptorship. Um, And that's a problem because then we're not getting the full benefit of the nutrient anyway, even if we're eating it. So that's an issue. And um, uh, a lot of the ingredients as well are in poor forms. So they're not even in great absorbable forms they're in like really crappy forms cheap forms and that's because supplement companies have to be able to make a profit and if you're including you know quote unquote all of the nutrients that uh you should be getting to support yourself in pregnancy and build a baby which is completely not true actually i will also talk about that um uh is uh you are getting a lot of nutrients, there's like 20 maybe, and they're going to have to cut costs somewhere because otherwise their supplement would cost $200. So, and they're not going to be able to sell that to anyone. So they take shortcuts and by shortcuts, I mean, they purchase a really cheap forms of these specific nutrients. You'll see like oxide or citrate or, you know, various other beta carotene, all that stuff. Um, and that's where they take their shortcuts. So, uh, even if they do have the nutrient itself too, doesn't mean it's necessarily the greatest form or that you're benefiting from it the, the greatest. Um, you'll also see this with folic acid too. Like, a lot of prenatals will have folic acid instead of methylated folate, and um, that's not super great either. <laughs> um, and then, sort of, the behavioral aspects of things. Like, I think one reason I don't like them that much is because a lot of women lean on them too much and they. Ex- They, um, well, this is for a couple reasons. One, they think that they have, the prenatal has all of the nutrients that they possibly need for a healthy baby and to, um, support their pregnancy. And that's false. Um, most of the daily values are not based on thriving people. Um, and, uh, you know,
0: what else, um, Hold on. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> oh, right. you've already unpacked yeah. so much. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many reasons.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, uh, what? Uh, oh gosh. Oh, there's missing. They're missing key nutrients. So <laughs> um, there. It. So one of the issues with like nutrition is that it takes decades to acknowledge a new nutrient, um, and usually, new research isn't sort of taken into account uh, until for, for a long time. (laughs) So you won't see these new nutrients that should be worked into sort of a comprehensive prenatal for decades. And, you know, there, I talk about this in my course too, um, which just came out, we can talk about it later, but, um, it's, it's, there are so many other nutrients that you need to have a healthy baby. And a lot of people think that prenatals provide all the nutrients, but the fact is that they don't and not even, you know, great amounts. And, um, the sort of segue into this other reason that I don't really like them. And maybe it's more of a behavioral issue with our society in general, because we are a society of convenience and quick fixes, but, um, is that a lot of women lean on them. And so they'll say like, oh, I'm not going to have, you know, I don't feel like having protein, a balanced meal. I just want, um, uh, pancakes and syrup and call it a day from the diner. And I'm all for treating yourself. Like I'm all for having the pancakes and like you know mm-hmm. butter it up, syrup it up, whatever. But at the end of the day, what nutrition is it providing? What nutrition is it providing to you and your baby to support you and your needs? And uh, while it provides calories for sure, and those are really important. We also need to be thinking about the nutrient density of our food. And um, a lot of women think, okay, I'm just going to have this for breakfast and my prenatal cover the rest, like whatever, you know? And so uh, granted, there are situations where like morning sickness, maybe you should, um, but you know, I think it creates a sort of relationship and um, maybe a, a sort of a poor relationship between the, take, the user and the uh, supplement.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I love everything you just said. Thank you for sharing that and breaking that down for us. Um, so do you think I, I hear that all too often? Like, I'm just going to take a prenatal because I know I'm not getting everything I need for my nutrition because someone doesn't want to eat the liver, eat the eggs, or eat the, you know, whatever it is, uh, superfood that is going to supply them with ample nutrients for them and baby. What what would you say there to someone? <laughs> who is like, that and not that because you said you, you know, you said that there's a time and place for them, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think it depends on the person. Like
1: I'm going to, I'm not really going to pressure someone who's not ready to hear this information yeah. with. <laughs> so um, if there's somebody that just like has a strong belief that that's good enough for them and that's the right path for them, I'm not going to try to intervene. Like, I will maybe share some information here and there, but I'm not going to try to change their minds if they have their minds already made up or if their minds are not ready to hear this kind of information. Uh, But for somebody who is really trying to uh, take the time and, you know, learn about how nutrients can affect us, learn about how supplements can be supportive or harmful in certain situations, and really create a preconception or prenatal strategy that is supportive with their goals and their goals might be going the more natural route, the more holistic route, or, um, you know, not taking synthetic supplements as much, or, um, uh, maybe doing a whole food prenatal of some kind. Um, then that's the person I would probably try to talk to about it, um, But, you know, again, I think it really, that question, I think it really depends on the person who I'm talking to (laughs) Um, and if they're ready to hear that information. Otherwise, um, you know, and, and there's no, again, there's no right or wrong. I think also there's a lot of dogmatism in sort of the prenatal space too um, where like you should only do this and like breast is best and like you have to have XYZ birth and like this is unsafe and you know like there's so much already coming at these women and um, it can be really overwhelming too and I what my goal is to not add to that noise or overwhelm it's to just give them information so that they can make the best choice for them and their situation um, but uh you know, that said, I, I, if they were taking a prenatal and eating McDonald's, I would probably say like, hey, you might want to consider like working in some some eggs and, you know, like make your burger at home and uh, you can make fries this way. <laughs>
0: yes. Oh my gosh. I think that's one of the biggest, um, uh, of what am I trying to say? Like the comments that I get when entering the health space, like, uh, I have to eat healthy all the time. But the truth is that you just, you find alternatives and they end up being like 10 times better than (laughs) I remember when I first like started making my food at home and I would like go out to eat every once in a while. Maybe it's just like the area that I was in, but I was like, but really, really wasn't too satisfying in comparison to like the meal that I just made at home last night. And you just start to crave the things that you've been feeding your body more and more and more. Um, so it really is like a gradual process into a new lifestyle, but I think the first step is taking that first step. Um, even if it's scary and new, I think finding a support system, um, to help you along that process can be super helpful as well. Um, okay. So with prenatals, do you think that they could also contribute to iron dysregulation, um being that they are it, the nutrients inside of these prenatals are in balance ratios um or maybe lacking nutrients. For sure, yeah.
1: I, I totally think so. There are so many sort of like <laughs> if you look at each nutrient and sort of the relationship, each one is going to be a hub and then have many spokes. And um if there's iron dysregulation, prenatals can definitely contribute to them. Uh one, you know, does your prenatal have iron? Probably. And it probably has like 25 milligrams or 60 sometimes, which is insane to me. <laughs> and so that's a lot. And uh, we haven't talked about the iron recycling system yet, but um, there's a, a lot of reasons why that's not a good thing. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and the issue is like a lot of people think, oh, this is a deficiency. So we need to add this. We need... Uh, Y is deficient, so we need to add Y into the diet or like add Y into the supplement, um, or take XYZ supplement. Am I is that, is that making sense? I just want to, yeah, I'm deficient in X, so I'm going to take supplement with X. There we go. Um, uh, it's Friday, <laughs> so um. So, uh, yeah, iron has so many things that can impact it. So one being, uh, copper, copper is what regulates it and there really needs to be a specific ratio. And if you take an iron, uh, prenatal, uh, a pre- a prenatal that contains iron, likely there's going to be a dysregulation of copper because also there's zinc in there, which can dysregulate copper. Um, and so, you know there's a lot of relationships that way too it's not even sometimes the the uh, nutrients that are impacting the iron itself it's like maybe they're impacting the other things that regulate iron <laughs> the regulators so um there's also uh, in prenatals there's usually uh ascorbic acid which is the sort of i mean it's interesting because the research In research, ascorbic acid functions very similarly to uh, whole food vitamin C, and they're used interchangeably, actually. But what most people don't know is that ascorbic acid in supplements is usually just the outer shell of the whole food vitamin C complex, which contains so many other factors, including things like tyrosinase, which is an enzyme that has copper in it. Um, It also contains different factors like KPJ factor. Um, And so there's so many other things that are within this whole food vitamin C complex that if you're taking ascorbic acid, which is just the empty shell, the body, once it enters the body, it'll try to complete itself with what it can find in your body. So it actually ends up depleting you and you end up peeing out um, a lot of the other nutrients that you we're missing from the ascorbic acid that you actually had in your own body. Uh, so it's, it can be very depleting. And the reason that's a problem is because uh, it affects copper and uh, copper regulates iron. Uh, another issue is the vitamin D, which is very, very contested topic and super, uh, super fun to talk about, but um, at the end of the day, there's, uh, you know, that that can warrant like a four-hour conversation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a four-hour conversation <laughs> between like, Danny Roddy and Matt Blackburn and Kitty on her podcast. Um, so if you guys wanna listen in on that, go to Kitty Blomfield podcast podcast, Win It Life. I, I like <laughs> I think I got halfway through and I was like, oh my god, there's so much. There are definitely a lot of conflicting opinions in this space. Yeah. Um but you know, I think it's good to ask questions. So for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. And D can impact iron in a lot of different ways too, but uh, the main one is that it depletes retinol, vitamin A, in the liver, which then you need to regulate, uh, activate copper into that ceruloplasmin protein, which then regulates iron. Um, so another one is that prenatals usually contain calcium, which can also contribute to iron overload. Um, so those are just a few. Um, and, oh yeah, zinc we talked about, but basically what happens with zinc is that uh, it activates this. Um, protein called metallothionine, which kind of scoops up excess heavy metals in the body. Um, and it scoop has a tendency to scoop up copper mm-hmm. even more than zinc, uh, a thousand times more than zinc actually. So uh, you're really depleting it that way because the body's kind of just like scooping it up and hiding it away. Um, so those are just a couple ways, but uh, that's really how prenatals can affect your iron levels. Um, and that's hence why I don't initially go for
0: yeah. Yes. You know, again Go it's first. a size fits all solution. Yeah, exactly. Um and the vitamin A in there as well is not going to be the preformed vitamin A that that we want. Probably. Um and that is where all the benefits really lie with thyroid function and how that relates to fertility and pregnancy. Um so what happens when all that iron is then on the loose, the sixty milligrams of iron that may be in a prenatal and not regulated by copper or retinol? What happens to then that iron? Yeah, so the body you know it it
1: senses uh, that it has too much iron in the system, and so it what it starts to do is and you need copper to support the the amount of iron that's in the body. so if we're not. Likely, if we're taking in too much iron, we're not going to have enough copper. The body might try to release copper to sort of sort of support the iron, but over time, it's just going to not be able to handle that capacity of iron. So what it does is it, it sequesters it into the tissues because it, it knows that iron also feeds pathogens. Iron is also extremely oxidative. It's very volatile. Uh, so it's like, if we don't have what we need to protect it, so copper, copper is like what keeps iron from rusting. Uh, If we don't have what we need to keep iron from rusting or feeding these bugs, uh, then we have to put it somewhere else away from (laughs) uh, things. So away from these bugs, away from the danger, potential danger. So it'll store it in the tissues. It stores it in the liver. It stores it in the soft tissues. um, It gets stored in the joints. And that's why you'll start to see um, as time goes on, you know, your iron levels will start to drop in the blood. Um, and so uh, we also won't have enough copper to support hemoglobin uh, either. Uh, again, iron keeps copper from rusting. And so uh, the iron recycling system itself, And which is, is probably a good time to talk about it, um, the body has an iron recycling system. So every 28 days, your red blood cells are overturning. And it's all because of the iron recycling system. or It's also called the red... Endothelial, wait, reticuloendothelial system. Excuse me. RES, this is why I usually use acronyms. Uh, (laughs) And so um, the reticuloendothelial system is what helps create the new red blood cells, but it also requires tons of copper because copper is excreted by the body every day, but it also recycles iron. So it recycles about 24 to 25 milligrams or more per day all by itself uh, through these old red blood cells that it's taking in and breaking down to recycle. Um, and so it, it has a lot of iron, um, but because copper is excreted, we need to be getting that in a lot more frequently. And so in as a result, we really only need like one to two milligrams of iron per day. One, if you're non-menstruating, um, non-pregnant. Um Two, maybe, if you are uh sorry, one, if you are menstruating and non pregnant, two <laughs> if you are pregnant, um, and women actually are are really good at absorbing iron too, so. I believe that uh, non-pregnant women can absorb iron three times better than men. And then women that are pregnant can absorb iron nine times better than men or up to nine times better than men from their food in one meal. Uh, So we already have these really great mechanisms in our body that help us absorb iron really well, but also help us recycle it really well. So adding more iron to the mix is going to create a really big imbalance because we're likely not getting enough copper uh, or vitamin A, the other things that you really need to support the uh, management of iron. So uh, the iron recycling system is made of various organs and body parts. Um, The digestive small intestine, the spleen, the bone marrow. um, Oh gosh, I'm forgetting something. I think the liver. um, It's like a small intestine, liver, spleen, bone marrow. marrow. Um, Definitely one more that I'm not thinking of, but it's this whole sort of... (laughs) like manufacturer, um, manufacturing sites or, or sort of like a assembly line that sort of, you know, recycles these red blood cells, creates new ones. Um, and, and, you know, again, when we don't have enough copper and vitamin A to manage iron, it, Gets really out of hand, and this system can't work properly either. So that we can also see a reduction in the length of life cycle for the red blood cells, and also uh, the production
0: of red blood cells in general. Mm-hmm. Um, just going back to like what iron does in the body by storing itself in the tissues, um, I, I think that. It's almost like a a self-protective mechanism. Like, our Mm -hmm. bodies are so, so smart. Like, if it didn't do that, I don't know what would happen. Um, And that's when I think our body starts speaking to us. Like, if you mentioned, like you mentioned, um, storing itself in the joints. Like, maybe you start to get joint pain. It's like, Mm -hmm. where is it coming from? Uh, Maybe I'm just getting old. Or maybe I'm not, I don't know, taking care of myself and I could use more massage or something. Um, But really knowing these things like having this information at hand at your disposal i think really empowers you to start looking in other areas and and going deeper past the surface level um so i know we need to work on our vitamin a i know we need to and speaking of vitamin a i wanted to share like my anemia story because i was diagnosed with anemia when i was in high school i remember i couldn't donate blood we'll talk about blood donation too um and I I was just handed iron pills, um, also was on calcium pills growing up. I was I was on everything, like most of us were, which um we'll get into like a whole list of things of why people become iron overloaded or iron dysregulated, but those are just some of the things that I did. And I was always like cold and shaky and I was just like, That's just my anemia. Um, but then I came across the RCP and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. This is interesting. Um, so then I tried to go to donate blood after being on the RCP for a little bit. And they kept denying me because my hemoglobin was really low. Mm-hmm. But then I did a full Monty, and my full Monty came back at 13 and it was fine. But it's just like that finger prick test that they do at the the blood drives that aren't as representative as like a full blood draw, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to ask, like, I remember I was turned away twice, even after testing like two fingers and a third time I was like really desperate. I was like, please. And they finally like just drew and drew and drew blood and it was above the the limit that they wanted. So they were like, okay, you're good to go. Um, But if, if anyone has been diagnosed with anemia, don't let that be like where you stop. Because there, there's a reason for that, and just with any symptom in the body, it doesn't have to be your diagnosis for life. Like same thing with IBS or PCOS, or you know, don't let that define you. As you stated earlier, with your like being a slow oxidizer being a fast oxidizer, um, there are answers out there for you to dig deeper and not be anemic anymore. Like I'm no longer anemic. Um, and, but what I did see on my anti iron panel is that my vitamin A was really, really low. Mm-hmm. It was in the thirties and my vitamin D was also in the thirties because I had supplemented with hormone D. Um, so I think if that's like a testament to everything that we're sharing, I, I think, I don't know, I feel like that's just really helpful for a lot of people who maybe have supplemented vitamin D and they're still feeling like brain foggy or have hormone imbalances and all those things. Um, I think these two tests, a full monty and a hair test are really gold um, in someone's healing journey. Um, They're not the end all be all. I I love lab testing, but they're not (laughs) like, they're not everything. And um, I I think some people can can get caught up in lab testing. Um, I know I once used to, but they're just numbers at the end of the day. It's just information. It's just insight, mm-hmm. just data um, that could be helpful in someone's healing journey. For me, it almost just like provided relief. Um, like, oh, this is really cool to know. It was just curiosity. So when you look at it from that perspective, it really helps.
1: Yeah, that's um, so well
0: said too. And you, thanks for sharing. I
1: really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, you also brought up a really good point too, is what happens when we have too much iron um, you mentioned joint pain, stuff like that. Well, um, iron's also really implicated in a lot of autoimmune issues. Yeah. Uh, so things like rheumatoid arthritis um, and other other um, potential autoimmune issues and really just general degenerative like neurological disease as well. Um, so that's that's kind of the progression of the issues. Histamine issues, like iron overload can really be, implicated in so many things. So, um, I didn't quite get there with the kind of what can happen after you have anemia or other than anemia. Um, and you painted that picture really beautifully. And, um, I also really loved your story and sort of like, don't let things define you because it can, it can feel pretty, when you get some kind of diagnosis like that, it can feel like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? Or like no hope for me. And, um, You know that goes back to what we are doing (laughs) and why we're we're helping people because you know we want to provide that additional path or alternative path that might not be necessarily super clear in the beginning. Um, So that's really great.
0: Mm -hmm. Thanks for saying that. I um yeah it's it's so easy to get caught up in the game of of healing and trying to work on balancing your minerals and doing all the things but I think there's a way to simplify it. And I loved being in Morley's course because I think he did just that, even though he can definitely go into a lot of depth with the topics at hand. I think Mm -hmm. he really tied the emotional aspect into the RCP um, with EFT being a, a huge part of the RCP. But whether it's EFT or something else, I think that can't go unaddressed. Um, Mm -hmm. Would you kind of speak to that and how maybe pouring into a leaky bucket, um, like pouring minerals into a leaky bucket might not, I don't know. I feel like I see that with women who aren't addressing the emotional aspect of their healing and they're working so hard with their protocols and they're doing all the right things, taking all the right supplements, but they're still not, they're stressed out because they're not, seeing the the outcomes that they would like to see whether that's conceiving a baby or just like feeling better
1: that's such a good point and another great question <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah oh gosh I see this all the time um, I think again we're conditioned as human beings especially in today's society to look for quick fixes and so it's a lot of take this for that yeah. um, do this for that and I think that's a lot of the bit the that's what it has a lot to do with. It's like, we are so, we have such tunnel vision um, in sort of trying to look for solutions like deficiency in this. Okay. I'm going to take this or, um, you know, uh, I have this disease that just cropped up. So I'm going to do this or like do this diet or this exercise uh, or these symptoms. And I'm going to do this. (laughs) Like it's not necessarily these symptoms didn't develop because of necessarily one, that one thing. Um, It's more of like, uh, I'm not saying this correctly, but uh, it's, it's difficult to, symptoms take a long time to develop. They're actually the step before disease. And so when you have a disease, when you're in that disease state, it's taken a long time and a lot of steps to get there, whether or not, you know, it, you know, it, you realized it or not, maybe you, you were fine one day and then you got the diagnosis the next day, but the body itself is really resilient and it tries really hard to support you and keep you alive. And, um, it goes through many different phases before, it, uh, you know, kind of putters out and gets to the disease state. And that's when we might be, you know, at the lowest point of stress or when I say the lowest point of stress, I mean the most exhausted point of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, so keeping that in mind, um, these things don't happen overnight. So to expect that this one thing will change, uh, everything or cure you is really, um, not necessarily the right perspective to have, uh, because it's all cumulative and we are human beings that, you know, are, operating and receiving lots of inputs every day we all have our own different lifestyles our own different way that our body operates so when trying to heal something yes nutrition can be a game changer for sure it's a really important foundation supplements can also be really supportive um, but for those not seeing progress after that there's really a lot of the times it's the environmental aspect. And when I say environmental, it could be relationship aspect. It could be relationship with yourself, your spouse, your boss, your family, your child relationships that really, you know, maybe we don't have good boundaries, or maybe they're wearing on us. Um, Maybe they're dysfunctional, like I personally have (laughs) experience in that. Um, Or, you know, maybe it's your environment, like maybe you're being exposed to a lot of toxins in the air or water um, that are also sort of adding additional stress to the, the, your body and also <laughs> sort of being a leak in the bucket. Um, so granted, like we will always have a leaky bucket, like there's always going to be stress, but what we want to do is to try to close the hole a little bit and um, improve our resilience to the stress so that we can fill our bucket faster than we're draining it. Um, Cause trying to avoid stress in life is going to be impossible, but the, the, what we're trying to do is improve our resilience to it. And so if we have a big hole in the bucket, that's like an emotional hole or environmental stress or environmental chemical um, stress, we should probably address that as well. Um, So it's really important what you're saying to look outward, to look even further than just nutrition and supplements because they can get you pretty far. But again, they're not like the destination, especially if you still have um, symptoms or are not where you want to be.
0: I 100% agree. I think we have to kind of paint the story for ourselves. Like, how did I get here? How did I start developing symptoms? I don't think there's a single person on this planet without a symptom. I think we Mm -hmm. all, I think that's also a part of the journey though. Like symptoms are simply like messengers in my opinion. And we hear that often But I think they're also a sign of redirection, like what do I need to potentially change in my environment um, so that I don't have the symptom anymore, whether that's nutrition, whether that's um, maybe ending a relationship or improving a relationship with someone or something. Um, So I think in order to really get to the bottom of your symptoms, you need and, and kind of start to uh patch up that bucket, even though we yes, we do have everyday stressors that we cannot. I think it's naive to think that we can be a hundred percent free of those stressors. Um I think we need to understand that, understand like how we got here so that we can actually really work to restore those foundations. Um and it's it's not a fun journey, I'll say. (laughs) It's very like Um, (laughs) I feel like a lot of parts of yourself are then revealed, um, in a journey like this. Like you just really get to know yourself and uh, have maybe different perspective, perspectives of life be unveiled. Um, there's just a lot that really goes into it. So that's why it's not just nutrition. Um, even though, like you said, I love nutrition and it can be an absolute game changer for a lot of people. Um, even just like coming from. I don't know if this was your experience too, but like I entered the functional medicine space and I very much did all the, like the seed cycling and ate like eight pounds of cruciferous vegetables a day and felt horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there is still still a lot of uh, Band-Aid supplementation um, that exists in the alternative health space, um, which is the whole other topic for another day. But it, it took me a long time to understand that nourishment means so many things as far as food, the way you live, all those things in order to really um, balance your minerals <laughs> or, or really truly see progress in your healing journey. Mm-hmm. That's so profound. Nourishment yeah. <laughs> is so much more than food for sure. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, all right, Lauren. Well, I don't think, I think we covered so much um iron minerals. minerals um i think to kind of sum it all up i think it's really important to know where you stand if someone is on a preconception journey i think having the resources at their disposal to i think this information is so valuable and i think it's it's truly like the best gift that we can give ourselves and our future babies and future generations to come Um, and i think one of those resources is your course your online course conscious conception can you tell us a little bit more about that oh thanks for asking yeah um so I recently
1: birthed a course and it's called Conscious Conception and I birthed it with in partnership with my dear friend, Dr. Britt Harmon. Uh, she's a pelvic floor specialist. Um, so we put our heads together, nutrition and physical. So we wanted to bring a full body holistic and when I say holistic, it's WH. So holistic oh, yeah. <laughs> um, resource to women and. Um, because we're on our preconception journeys and she actually just gave birth to her baby. So super exciting. Um, but we were like, okay, there's such a need for, you know, resources out here. There's such poor (laughs) prenatal advice and, um, specifically for the preconception phase. A lot of Advice is just like stop, uh, you know, stop smoking, drinking, yeah. don't clean it all, You're good. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, and we were just, you know, the more we researched, especially um, in my research about uh, the idea of fetal programming, hormonal imprinting, nutritional imprinting, uh, trauma imprinting, like. It makes it can make such an impact, um, and again, not only on your baby's health or your future generations, but also the way that you are able to conceive, the risks that potentially arise uh, during pregnancy, and your ability to recover postpartum. Um, it could just be made so much more. Uh, beautiful and easy and seamless. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be like this black hole of terror that a lot of women are going through. And so, um, we wanted to bring this resource forth to really empower women with the information that they need to feel confident going into pregnancy and, um, just really, uh, Also create a community as well, Um, and it's so far it's been really really fun, and I just can't wait to continue enhancing the course and uh, bringing even more information to everyone.
0: Oh my gosh, I can just imagine like how much information is inside of there, like just (laughs) with your brain and everything that you just shared with us. Like it has got to be. Fabulous. So I will link that in the description box and your Instagram handle as well. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to end on? Oh, wow. That's a <laughs> nice opportunity. I
1: don't know if I'm prepared for that. Um,
0: <laughs> um,
1: I, I guess what I would say to everyone um, you know, the past months, years, and us <laughs> well, turned into years. Uh, you know, with this whole thing, just, um, I know that a lot of people are feeling out of place and stressed and just, you know, don't underestimate going outside, putting your feet in the grass, getting sun and giving your loved one a hug and just do that (laughs) because it'll make you feel better.
0: And I I think everyone needs it. I love that so much. No, like, Thank you for saying that, especially on a Friday when I feel the sun shining. I just, I want to do just that. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for sharing that. Lauren, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, Until next time, guys. Bye. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Functional Fertility Podcast if you want to stay connected be sure to join the bite-sized weekly email list where each monday i expand on social media topics to give you the exclusive tidbits of information you need to hear as it pertains to reproductive and metabolic health fertility preconception and more and if you're ready to dive deeper Be sure to check out my website, caremewellness.com to discover different ways to work with me, such as one-on-one work and my online course, Period Restoration, where I teach you the ins and outs of your cycle and how to transform your fertility, whether or not you're trying to have a baby soon. If you feel this podcast episode resonated with you, please feel free to give it a five-star review and rating as it helps my podcast so much and it allows us to continue having wonderful guests on the show. Thanks guys. I'll see you in the next episode.